Hey everyone, and welcome to the Ballet and Beyond podcast, where we interview current and former professionals, teachers, patrons, and more from the world of ballet and dance. You'll get insight from top dancers and instructors in the industry, as well as local performers and educators as they talk about their experiences in the business. I'm your host today, Pete Commander. If you're from the greater Baltimore area, don't forget to check out Charm City Ballet, located in Cockeysville, where we offer classes for all dancers ages 3 through adult. Visit www.charmcityballet.com for information on classes, auditions, and upcoming performances. This is our very first episode of Ballet and Beyond, and we're excited for our opening guest, ABT soloist Katie Williams. After starting her early training with the Hawaii State Ballet, Katie moved with her family to Maryland, where she began training at the Ballet Royale Academy. She joined the JKO school at ABT in 2005, and she was brought into the company as an apprentice in December 2007. She was promoted to the Corps in June 2008, and to soloist in September 2018. Katie, thanks so much for being on the show with us today. And uh, I want to start by talking about your promotion. Um, so you joined the the Corps de Ballet at ABT in 2008, but it wasn't until uh, September, I guess, of 2018 that you were promoted to soloist. Uh, talk about sort of your mindset and your process during that time, during those 10 years. Right. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm excited to help you all start this process. Um Yes, I was in ABT for 10 years before I got promoted. So, you know, that seems like a really long time, but in in dance years at least. Um, but it, it really flew by, and um, I think it all sort of happened at the right time just because, you know, I... I kind of think of myself as a, a late bloomer. So mm. in order to reach that point, I had to go through, you know, so many ups and downs and sort of stalling points in my career and dealing with life events and all of these sort of things that um, led me to getting promoted, though that wasn't necessarily, you know, the end goal ever. Of course, mm. it's always someone's dream. Um, but there was definitely a point where I thought, oh, okay, this isn't in the cards for me. Um, right. Yeah, so it, it was sort of a long process, I guess. But um, looking back on it, I think it was exactly the right timing for for me. Mm. So what kind of things um, did you do to help maintain your motivation through through that time? Mm-hmm. Well, it was definitely a journey. Um, my first few years in the company, of course, were transitional times, and I was just getting used to company life, touring around the world, and um, you know, learning about people, and also becoming an adult because I was 18 when I joined. Mm. Um, and then I had a couple of setbacks, sort of minor injuries, um, no surgery or anything like that, but definitely things that made me feel like I didn't know how long I could last in this career. So mm. I sort of did a, a mental flip and decided I was going to do everything in my power to stop that injury cycle and get stronger 
and along the way that actually helped my motivation um, and helped me to uh, refine my love for dance, um, which also I think helped me on the way to, you know, getting promoted and advancing my career again. Mm. What um I I know that you've you've done quite a bit of cross training also. Uh, talk about how that's contributed to uh, where you are both as a dancer and an artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think cross training for dancers is so so important because we work such specific muscles in ballet and leave a lot of them out. Mm. <laughs> um especially in the training you receive as a kid because it is so specialized. Um, so sometimes cross-training can be working all the supporting muscles that you don't necessarily think about. Or, you know, everyone is so nervous about building your quads in ballet. But I found that using my quads and exhausting my quads has actually made, you know, my hamstrings stronger and mm. my adductor stronger. So... Cross training, I think, just gives you a better base um, and also obviously increases your stamina and your endurance, which is really necessary for performing, you know, any of the ballets that we have to do on a, a regular basis. Right, right. Um, back to your uh, sort of your uh, pathway to get to where you are. Um, mm -hmm. I know that you went to JKO school Um and that's, you finished high school there. Is that right? I, I did. Well, I finished high school in New York um, uh -huh. at professional children's school while mm. going to JKO for my senior year of high school. Okay. So and then provide schooling. Got it. Got it. And is that, that's sort of part of, part of the program there? Um, or is that something that you sort of explored on your own? Yeah, I mean, they give you uh, some options of what you can do. A lot of people do homeschooling or uh, maybe go to school in New Jersey and then commute in to New York for the afternoon, you know, mm. ballet class. So it is nice that you have the option, but because at the time my family was living in Maryland, I moved up to New York on my own when I was 16. Um so I ended up going to high school and finishing high school up here. Okay. Um, yeah, while I was doing JKO. Got it. And and I remember that you did a semester at Columbia. Is that correct? Yes. So. And, yeah, yeah. Talk about sort of like how you got there and then decided to just stop there. And then I I know you went back. Talk about talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think it was sort of an atypical path that I took, but um, I had graduated high school and I had auditioned for a few companies, but ABT was, you know, of course my dream company. And I knew that I was being considered for the studio company, but I didn't have a contract yet. Mm. So I decided to go to college. I had applied to about eight schools. Um, and I got into Columbia's general studies program, which is a part-time um, college de degree program. Mm. And so I continued to go to JKO and also go to Columbia. Um, 
However, while I was there in my first semester, I ended up getting into the studio company in November um, and immediately went on tour with them. So instead of finishing my classes, I was starting my first tour <laughs> and then came back, did my finals and went on a, a leave of absence from Columbia um, just because it was impossible with the touring schedule. I could never go to class. Right, right. And you've since gone back and gotten finished your degree, correct? Yes, yes. So after I was a little bit more settled, I started looking into my options because I really wanted to, you know, at least work towards getting my degree. I knew it would take a lot longer part time. Um, and I found a program called Leap, which works with performing artists to help them sort of use their lifetime experience as a dancer to get some college credits. And then they help you with weekend classes, um, tutors, online classes. And it's sort of a, a do-it-yourself program that you end up with a BA in performing art. Mm. So I did that. And um, it took about seven years, but I did finally get my college degree. So I'm very happy and proud of that. Nice. Excellent. I want to talk about uh, talk about Giselle a little bit, actually. And so this was your first, this was last last year, right? Last June, you said? Yes. Um, so uh, this was your first principal role. Uh, talk a little bit about um, what it was like to, to step into this principal role after having been uh, part of the uh, Corps de Ballet. Yeah, well... Besides it being really exciting and sort of a career-changing opportunity, um, it was a surprise because I found out a month before my premiere that I was learning and going to perform it during mm. our season at the Metropolitan Opera House. So it was it was definitely a whirlwind, and throughout the process, I worked with a couple coaches uh, from ABT, but mostly one of our ballet masters, um, Nancy Rafa, very closely, pretty much every day, learning the steps and learning the character and learning what it meant to dance as a principal, which is, you know, very different from the qualities and the sort of... Um, backbone that you need in the core you know mm. you're not trying to fit in anymore or just create a line or a shape or a formation it's inhabiting uh the world that the ballet has created and you know a character role is very different from one of the swans in the court of ballet their their priorities are different and um the approach is also very different Mm. So did you have uh, quite a bit of uh, coach character coaching then? I did. It was uh, mostly part of the process. Um, a lot of our principals do use an acting coach, mm. but which I would definitely do in the future, but I honestly didn't have time for it. Um, however, I did a lot of research. I read books. I studied, you know, old videos um, and, you know, definitely used those ballet coaches and all of their knowledge to sort of 
create my own character mm. um, and and find my my version and what what I felt her you know to to be how she interpreted the story mm. so one of my favorite parts about storytelling is uh, the villain and and even though uh, you know Murda's not necessarily seen as the villain of the story, um, she sort of embodies you know sort of an outwardly I don't want to use the word evil, but a little bit darker of a character and and um, much less lighthearted than what you've done in the past. Uh, what were some of the things that you that you did to prepare for uh, for taking on a role like this? Right. Well, it was definitely not my initial casting um, okay when i first joined the company they would give me a lot of the the young girl and the light-hearted peasant and those kind of roles so it was um it was a stretch it was a, a leap of faith on their part which i was really grateful for um and it did require a lot of study because she is a very righteous, um, she's all about, you know, rectifying the wrongs of the past. And mm. she's also a protector of all of the willies of the, the women that are in the scene with her. And so whenever a man comes into her realm, her job is to kill him. And, you know, not only her job, it's her, it's her wanton life. She has to do it. Um, mm. so she's a very fierce character um and i tried to keep imagining myself as the queen because she's the queen of the willies so she's strong she never hurries anywhere she's in control of everything she has sort of a power that comes from her back you know i was always mm. working on my back and how i could make it seem more powerful um and my job was just to take over the whole stage, to be as big of a presence as possible and to never, never give in. You know, she, she can't show her weakness. Right. Um, and so I just kept trying to imagine that through the steps that I was dancing and through the mind that I was showing. Mm. Um, and how each step could contribute to that character. Mm. Yeah, especially now when we're in a in an age of of heavy competitions and a lot of TV dance, it seems that a lot of dancers uh, tend to disregard or ignore um, the importance of character work. Uh, why is it important for dancers to continue to develop that skill as much as any other technical skill? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's it's essential to being a professional. I think so much of the time people do focus on the technique and the number of turns and how high your jump is, which is great, obviously, because technique is very important to ballet. But once you get into a company, um, in order to progress, you have to develop your artistic side you know it's mm. when the audience is watching they're not necessarily looking at how high your leg is they want to see you 
tell a story and they want to feel moved by the ballet. So, you know, technique will only get you so far. And I think it's, it's un, underrated for people to have that artistic side. And yet it really can make or break someone's career. You know, someone who doesn't necessarily have the perfect ballet body can move people to tears. And that's what makes them a, a beautiful artist. Mm. Great. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. And um, I know in May 2012, uh, there was a little there was a Point Magazine article about you specifically. Um, and the quote is, you can sense her sweetness and ear for music. Um, <laughs> how, <laughs> how important is, is musicality in dance? Um, and what kind of things do you think about in terms of connecting the movement to the music? Mm. I mean, music, especially in something like you know, Romeo and Juliet or Swan Lake, it's such the driving force for the ballet. Mm. You know, my dad uh, will come to see a ballet and sometimes he's just so enthralled by the music. He's like, oh, I, I, I almost don't need to see it. The ballet is like a bonus to the music. Mm. Um, so in order to be compelling, you do have to be musical and you know, it's not just counting to eight. It's um, it's finding the nuance and the accents in the music. And it really can actually help your dancing, too, because it allows you to sort of um, find your breath, find your rhythm. It makes dancing easier, and it obviously makes it more enjoyable to really listen to the music and find you know, finding it a way to drive you. Mm. Okay, great. Yeah, I'm going to switch gears one more time. Um, you had mentioned going through a period of, of injury before you had started cross-training. Uh, what kind of things did you uh, find yourself doing to manage your emotions and expectations during, during periods of, of injury and still needing, to, still needing to push your body through um, you know, through rehearsals and performances, uh, how were you able to manage emotion and expectation through that? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I, I didn't do it very well. <laughs> um, especially at first I tried to keep pushing myself and just thinking that it would go away. You know, I tried the ignore it method, um, which definitely didn't have good results. <laughs> right. Um, but of course any dancer thinks, Oh, well, I I'm always in some sort of little pain. You know, mm. there's always something maybe uh, nagging me. Um, and I think we're very strong and disciplined people. Um, but when, you know, you're having trouble walking in the morning or something is, is really wrong, um, it takes a lot of strength also to step back and say, you know what, I'm, I'm injured. I actually can't dance. And... Mm. In those moments, you know, I missed um, a summer tour that ABT did. They went to Korea, um, and I had to miss it because my calf was just so badly strained that I could, you know, I could barely walk on it. I was hobbling around. Um, 
and also mentally I had been pushing so much to try and stay in the game that I was just exhausted. Um, so in that sense, I think separating yourself a little bit is really essential. Um, you know, getting out in the world, I ended up going on a trip to Jamaica with my sister and just sort of forgetting about everything. Um, Mm. and that was actually really healing, Mm. but, you know, finding other hobbies or distractions, um, always are really helpful, especially if you're constantly doing PT, you know, physical therapy and, um, trying to get yourself back really healthy and strong. It's also really important to take care of your mental and emotional state, Mm. um, especially in that time. Absolutely. Absolutely. What kind of things I'm going to, I'm going to jump back to sort of, uh, where you started as far as your training goes, um, (laughs) ballet Royale, what, what kind of things, um, you had worked with Donna Pidel, is that right? Yep. Um, what, what are some of the things that, uh, sort of got locked into your brain in, in your early training, uh, with her that you've now taken into your professional career? Mm. Well, I'm so grateful because at Ballet Royale, we had training in basically every style of dance. Mm. And I think it helped me so much because once I got to the ABT school, you know, it was very, very ballet focused. Um, But when I joined the company, we have a whole season that's contemporary um, works. And even last season, we did a tap piece. So... Um, I was really, really happy that my early training included Horton, Graham, Tap, Jazz, Modern, um, you know, Flamenco, Mm. Character Dance, just everything you could think of. We even tried hip hop, which I was not great at, but I loved. (laughs) Right. Um, um, And yeah, that really helped me. I think versatility is really, really important. Um. And also doing something like jazz kind of gives you a weighted feeling that is the opposite of ballet. And I think both are really essential Um, because again, on stage, you don't want to see a one note dancer. You want to see someone who brings depth and roundness to whatever they're doing. Mm. Um, So yeah, I'm very, very grateful for that. Great, great. She also started us uh, doing Youth America Grand Prix competitions as uh, ensemble groups and as individuals. Um, And I think that was really necessary for me because we were a small suburban school and just getting the exposure to see, you know, all the talent that's out there and see what other people were doing was really eye opening. I think. Um, What kind of ways do you think that that sort of helped contribute to your expectations uh, then moving to New York and and trying to, uh, you know, find a path toward a toward a career specifically with ABT? Right. Well, it was it was a big push for me to move to New York. You know, my parents had to really trust me and, and believe that this was going to be a, a, an actual career path for me. 
Mm. Um, so it was a bit of a shock, I'll say, when I moved to New York because it was just a completely different level. You know, it wasn't a small ballet school. It was every single person was at the top of their class and I had to learn really quickly um, what it meant to actually be pre-professional mm. um, and the, the level of dedication and a lot of the kids in my class had been homeschooled since they you know were teenagers or had been to a serious ballet academy like the Kirov or something um so it was definitely a big transition um but it's that same thing about exposure just seeing what else is out there it gives you a different level of you know determination and and drive because not that you see what you're up against, but um, it helps you push yourself. Mm. All right, great. Um, so let's go to uh, Chameleon. Um, you were talking to me a little bit earlier about uh, Chameleon Activewear. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and, uh, and what it's all about and sort of what the goals are. Yes, it's very, very exciting. One of my oldest friends in ballet, her name is April Giandruso. And we basically grew up together in Maryland um, and then have since joined ABT together. So I've known her almost my entire life. Um, mm. And she started an activewear line called Chameleon Activewear based on these sort of bold print leotards that are really eye-catching and I've I've never seen anything like them before, to be honest. Mm. Um, and they're also very comfortable and can sort of work as bathing suits or body suits as well. Um, she had the idea because her mom used to make her leotards that we all affectionately called mom tarts. <laughs> and <laughs> they were so cute that, you know, everyone started asking her to make them and the idea just sort of sprouted because, you know, her mom could only do so many. Right. And it, you know, eventually became a business. Took mm. a really long time and, you know, a lot of effort on her part. But um, now with about 20 of us from ABT as her models, she has a real, you know, online e-commerce site going. Um, mm. And we had our first launch of the first 20 leotards in May. So it's going very well. And you can find us online, chameleon.fit. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, I've seen some of the designs that you've posted on uh, on social media. And yeah, they look really cool. Yeah, they're very fun for a good, you know, Saturday leotard when you don't have to wear black. Right, right, right. All right, perfect. Well, Katie, thank you so, so much for uh, being on the show with us today. Yes, thank you. For information about ABT's upcoming events and performances, as well as more information about Katie and her fellow company members, visit www.abt.org. This episode was brought to you by Charm City Ballet. If you live in the greater Baltimore area, don't forget to check out Charm City Ballet located in Cockeysville. Visit www.charmcityballet.com for information on classes, auditions, and upcoming performances. Next week, we have former Washington Ballet soloist Rebecca Volpel on the show. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving Ballet and Beyond a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. For questions and guest requests, please email us at ballet-and-beyond-podcast at gmail.com. I'm your host, Pete Commander. Thanks for listening. Thank you.